acupuncturist out of Puerto Rico? 26. Tanya, this broad. Her ass was the second coming. She never wore panties. <laughs> Brush her teeth with this shit. Every night she drink me under the fucking table. When I was down there. <laughs> hey, push. Does she even really exist? <sighs> Does she exist? Ah, oh, what a heartbreaking moment. Welcome to Cuts of Black, a Soprano sit down. I am Jim Scampoli. I am Jacob Burrows, and heartbreaking you say, I say, big pussy, he died as he lived, a big fat liar, uh, throw him down with the fishes as far as I'm concerned, and we did. Good job, good, well done. Well done all uh, ra- around. Yeah, yeah, wrap that storyline up there. I did think, like like we mentioned last time, uh, it's like, oh, uh, it's like the big stuff's happening in the almost last episode, so I had two thoughts. There's big pussy. And there's Melfi's drinking problem, and one of those is still going on. <laughs> the other problem has been resolved. I couldn't be happier. Well, and when I say heartbreaking, it's not necessarily like I'm heartbroken that um, they killed that rat piece of shit. It's right. more so the and and this is backwards. Like you have to sometimes step outside of these shows and realize you're rooting for the bad guy in a lot of cases, like you know Breaking Bad or whatever. But it's more that I feel for Tony and for Pauly and Syl and like, you know, this is their this is their friend. I mean, even with Tony, we've heard the stories growing up. This is his high school friend. Twenty years, twenty plus years, what have you? However old he is now, uh, and I just love that moment. I mean, obviously we'll get more into it, but what did she exist, or is he just that into lying that he doesn't even realize he's lying in that moment? Hmm. I mean, that's a good question, I guess. Uh, season one, we get got introduced to Big Pussy episode one because Junior wanted to p- kill Pussy. Oh, not my Pussy, hit yeah. another <laughs> Pussy. So that that's how we got to know him. And then he wasn't in it a lot until towards the end when it started coming up this question of is he a rat or not? And then Tony was saying, oh, he's my best friend. We're such good friends. <laughs> so all of their friendship stuff that's been building this season uh you know this would be rougher if we just found out he was a rat i think uh i mean not i don't think they should have done it any more differently i'm just processing my own uh emotions here where uh richie dying meant a lot more to me actually (laughs) no i could see that i could see that um i will say like uh i want to talk a little bit more about this when we finish discussing the episode but when i originally watched sopranos uh, I didn't watch it. I, I actually started watching it with season three. I oh. watched the season three, like the first half of season three or something. Like I, Basically, when season three premiered, I watched the premiere and I watched a few episodes after that. And then it was like the age of DVD, but DVDs took time and they were super expensive. And then I went back and watched seasons one and two. But it was like at this point here with the Sopranos season two finale, it's when the Sopranos started becoming... The Sopranos, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where I knew, I knew how season two ended. It was almost, I guess, 
maybe how you know like Game of Thrones ish, where maybe people went back to watch Game of Thrones. They quite they kind of already knew what the big thing was at the end of season one, but yeah. it started building that buzz and becoming a prestige show. This is the point where Sopranos, at least in my world, where it started becoming a thing everyone was talking about, and you see like you know, on uh, MTV movie awards or some shit, uh, whatever, just on all the stuff. And then you're like, Oh, I got to check this out. And then by the time season three rolls around, that's when like everyone's on the Sopranos train. Yeah. I was actually having a little look at like the viewership numbers, uh, on Wikipedia for the different seasons and season two, the finale is listed as having about 9 million viewers and that's on HBO too I guess so you know that's that's a lot to begin with but then the next season starts with over 11 million hmm. uh so clearly like we we have noticed we run a podcast called Gilead Gazette where we discuss Handmaid's Tale and we talked about the first season and then the first season won a bunch of awards and there was a lot of buzz building through the year so when season two started I think a lot more people uh got on it and uh I guess something similar has been going on here um because yeah it's a a lot more moving forward that's interesting though that you like that those things were around because i'm so happy that i've avoided all the potential <laughs> like red weddings of the sopranos yeah uh, if that makes sense don't google that if you haven't watched game of thrones yeah but uh all these different events and things i i really had no idea what was going to happen in this episode and i have no idea what's going to happen for the rest apart from it's impossible to not be slightly aware of how the final episode ends, even though I don't know the context of the situation. I mean, it's in the fucking name of our show. Yes. And um, and I guess I, I, I say that as well to frame it like what, rewatching it now where we're like discussing every episode and going through different characters and relationships and motivations. Uh, but when I went back to watch seasons one and two, after I already knew where, where things were headed with Big Pussy, I guess it already felt like they, you know, since I already knew it was a big deal for the show and then I'm watching it from the beginning and I'm like, oh, that's Tony's friend. So I guess it mm -hmm. always felt like a bigger deal just because I knew it was headed towards something rather than, you know, like you, if you're watching it fresh and you're like, okay, this is just a guy who's around sometimes and now he's becoming slowly more important, and now they're adding more backstory to it. Yeah, I mean, I really cared about Big Pussy at the end of season one, though. Like, I thought Polly killed him if <laughs> I... I think I said on the show that he's yeah. six feet under, and Polly's gonna die, and I was saying that Polly was the biggest scumbag because he was talking about how it's not okay to see a female psychiatrist. I was like, well, Polly's clearly turning on them all in season two, and, uh, you know, I was, I was wrong, but... Uh, uh, maybe it also is discussing it that I'm like, I'm just, just saying and reinforcing every episode what a big piece of shit Big Pussy <laughs> is. Because uh, there have been moments where you're reminded of who he is uh, and, and, and why he, you know, his impact on the rest of the crew matters. Him crying in the bathroom over the, what he is and what he's become. And looking back on it, I think maybe that crying in the bathroom thing some in some ways propelled him towards his behavior in the previous episode where we said that came kind of out of nowhere that he suddenly had to be like an FBI guy. But looking back on it, he didn't have any choice in the matter, in his mind at least. So he just had to go all the way to their side to 
to get like to to feel any sort of balance or like he was an okay guy. Um, however, placing that in the previous episode, I, I mean, in the previous podcast, I'm really talking about what a piece of shit he is. So, <laughs> yeah. so it doesn't really like hurt me that bad. Um, although, I, I mean, of course, from Tony's point of view and everything, but. But well, it, it, it's almost—it's almost. It's almost it's, I know I'm rambling, but it's almost worse in the dream when the fish is saying, "Like you know, I'm working with the authorities, uh, right?" And Tony's yeah. like, "Don't say it. Don't you don't gotta say it." Like that—that that hit me harder than the actual death. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like uh, being able to—I mean, I know you're—we're on your first go through here, and uh, I'm looking at it more in hindsight because I've seen all the episodes. It's interesting to think about how big of a deal this was, at least in the context when the show was first being aired, and how Big Pussy was seemingly such a big character that they killed off. Whereas in like the span of The Sopranos, when you go into up to season, basically seven seasons, because it's like season 6A and season 6B, like it's kind of feels like more of a blip now when you know like the whole show. It's just, it's just interesting because it was such a... I mean, I guess because, yeah, this is pre, like, social media. This is pre-Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad and all that. So it was one of HBO's first big shows. I think they just had, like, Oz and maybe, like, the Larry Sanders show before this. So it was one of the first big, everyone's talking about this death that happened on a show and everyone can't believe it. And, oh, my God, we have to wait. Well, with Sopranos, you're waiting sometimes a year, a year and a half before you got new episodes. They they were Westworld before Westworld. Uh, <laughs> so everyone's just, you know, mulling it over and talking about it. So it's just an interesting to see how it laid all the foundation for what, like, prestige TV is now uh, now today. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, Also, this episode was uh, nominated for, uh, for an Emmy for Outstanding Writing. Um, and I, I don't know if I got confused last time, but I thought you said that they won for the previous episode, but I don't think they did because um, I just had to look it up since I saw this one was also nominated. Uh, and in 2000, West Wing won uh, for for uh, Outstanding Directing and oh, uh, did West they Wing not? also won for Writing. But Sopranos was nominated for both Fun House and Night in White Satin Armor. Um, oh, weird. I thought it said they won. My bad. Um, As, yeah, they did win the next year for writing though. Um, fucking West Wing, it's all over here <laughs> these years in in the directing category. Okay, maybe um, you just said they had. Uh, shit, I thought they had won. My bad. Yeah, I think they were not. They, well, they were nominated uh, for it. But uh, who was it written and uh, directed by this episode, Jim? Ooh, yes, this episode, Funhouse. Uh, it was written by David Chase and one of the producers, Todd A. Kessler, and directed by John Patterson, who actually John Patterson directs the first five season finales. Oh shit, uh, that's cool. Um, and he almost got an Emmy. Better luck next time. Uh, I want to get this out of the way real quick. This episode reminded me so much of Restless from Buffy. Oh, yeah. The season finale of season four of Buffy, which, if you haven't seen it, it's very much in dream worlds and stuff like that. And also, I mean, we mentioned that it's a Game of Thrones thing to have the big thing in the uh, next to last episode. But, I mean, the climax of season four of Buffy is in the second to last episode and then Restless is this thing where we get deep into dreams and shit. So I was thinking about that, and I had to look it up, and I was like, did someone steal this from someone? And basically, these episodes came out at the same time. Um, 
because Funhouse was April 9th, 2000, and uh, Restless was May 23rd, 2000. I just thought that was kind of fun that they both did the same thing at the same time. Yeah, and then looking at the nominations, that was also the year Hush was uh, nominated um, for for writing from Buffy. Because, yeah, that's season four. So, yeah, we're in prime season four Buffy, and we're in season two Sopranos. Um, yeah, when did, when did they each episode air? Funhouse aired... Oh, in April, and then, yeah, what? Yeah, April and May. Yeah, May. Okay. Interesting. Um, Have you watched The West Wing? Because people seem to like it, according (laughs) to this Wikipedia, where they win all the awards. And I'm like, fuck, Buffy is great. Sopranos is great. What are you going to... West Wing? Fuck. Uh, I mean, it is. It's Sorkin, right? Yeah. Yeah, I never watched it for whatever reason. I don't know. It just it's one of those shows. It is one of those shows I always heard about. But also, when I'm looking at these nominees here... I'm seeing ER as well. That's another show I never watched that everyone's always been like, ER, oh my God, my dude. Yeah. Well, Sopranos is going to win something next season, so we'll look forward to that. But let's (laughs) stay in the present. Yes. And let's start with uh, Tony and Livia again in the same room, which has been, you know, like you said, getting them back in the same room took a whole season. But now all of a sudden we're there, and Tony is not very happy uh, with what's going on. His sister is there. Uh, his his rarely seen sister who I forgot the name of Barbara yes maybe? Barbara yep it's okay. and it's basically uh, okay what do we do with Livia now yeah uh, that Janice isn't here to keep an eye on you um, they won't even take her back at Green Grove because she's abusive to the staff she's abusive to the staff I love Tony's yelling voice and and I, what I look forward to actually uh, as we start getting deeper into these seasons and like the Tony voice i mean the voice is there we're gonna get more into the breathing we've finally heard we've heard the breathing a little bit but the breathing becomes more of a staple of tony but i want you to go back not yet but maybe as we get deeper into season three or maybe season four and i want you to watch the pilot and listen to tony's voice in that because it's Mm -hmm. not the same tony it's just interesting how he kind of developed his soprano persona that is interesting. Uh, I mean, I've noticed the breathing. Uh, it's already pretty, pretty uh, intense. So if you're saying it's going to get even more so, I am yeah. concerned that by, you know, season five, it's going to be just... <laughs> Dude, you're not far off. <laughs> all my Sopranos so fans out there, all the people that are on the watch, uh, rewatch, they know what we're talking about. Yeah, so he whips out these airline tickets because uh, he's so frustrated with this situation. Just go stay with Aunt Gemma in Tucson. Uh, apparently, he just has so many airline tickets that they're all going from here to there. And uh, it's almost like I, I thought, like, oh, it's a spur of the moment thing. He rushes out and gets these, even though he knows he shouldn't use them for his family. But then it's like uh, he had them to Tucson under his car seat. So I, well, the thing was- is, I think what um, it's kind of like... Uh, because they're not fully clear, but I feel like these are almost like weird credits. Like they're tickets, mm. but you just turn them in. It's almost like what you would use points for now. Uh, like now you'd use like miles points and stuff. But because I, I don't think he necessarily just had tickets to Tucson. I think it's just this is a first class ticket. Because even like what they said when they got him from David, that you know you could give him away. Like the excuses you'd give him away as prizes. But I don't know. Okay. I'm not fully clear. But, I mean, we did just hear Skip in the last episode say that Tony's not dumb enough to use these himself, so it doesn't really mean anything. But here we are. Tony, we know it's a bad thing, but he goes and grabs some tickets and he uh, hands it over to Olivia to, you know, get the hell out of his – that's the last thing you get from me, get the hell out of Jersey. 
I mean, what you're explaining, I mean, that makes so much more sense because I was thinking it's got to be really hard to shift these airline tickets <laughs> yeah. uh, going to specific places. Uh, if it works more like the telephone cards, like we see in the next scene, then that makes sense. It's yes. uh, you just hand them over, use them. Um, and yeah, that is the next scene where we get to see like an interaction between two characters we haven't seen who don't pop up again, just someone selling a card um, that he promises can, you know, uh, call for $20 for $7. Uh, and we go into an Indian restaurant uh, with some interesting music playing. And this, I was like, rival gang, finally, we get a rival gang. And no, Tony's there. Yeah. They're just hanging out. It's yeah. Just it's just, yeah. I guess it's, they're all, I mean, we see the calling card scene to kind of give some context. And he's out to dinner at this Indian restaurant with this other, like, crew or gang or what have you and it's like these are the people making the deals for this calling cards and again like both of these are you know so of the time between these just handing out these airline tickets that's never something that would happen now and calling cards of course i mean it would just be i guess a prepaid phone scam or something if you updated it for now because uh, yeah. ain't nobody on no pay phones dealing with calling cards yeah, and interestingly, we start with uh, like the Indian music playing, and then move into like a soft guitar song montage feeling. Yes, because we get a we get a proper montage at the end, like we do uh, in The Sopranos. But yeah, this this music leads us into the next scene at another restaurant where Tony is still eating. Oh, that <laughs> eating is gonna get him in trouble one day. Yeah, it um, is. sits down and then pl- plucks stuff off uh, Big Pussy's uh, plate there. Yeah, because now they're at Artie's place. They're at the new Vesuvio. And now I wonder, I mean, I guess from what we know from the dreams that come up later in this episode, and even going back to season one when Tony didn't want to believe that Big Pussy was an informant, uh, it's been something in the back of his mind. But in this scene here, when it kind of breaks in on the montage, Pussy's explaining the calling card thing. Now, I guess given he's explaining it to Furio... And Tony's like looking at him. And I mean, is it, is this one of the final nails in the coffin? Just how like, and then A goes to B and then this happens and then this happens. Or is it just, just another moment? Well, these moments when they do this, like give Sopranos is great, but I'm just like, okay, you really want me to know about these phone cards because it's going to be important. Yeah. It's like when they talk about anything, like explaining the rules of something, I'm just like, okay, you really, I, I need to know this, I guess. Kind of like, like Tony would never use those airline tickets for himself, and I'm like, well, Tony's clearly going to use these airline tickets. So that's how I read it, but let me see if I can find the look he gives him just specifically because yeah it's not an outlandish look but he is just kind of staring at him but i guess maybe it's just more it's not so much what he's saying it is just that these thoughts are always brimming almost to you know to the top of his head basically yeah i think that's right and i think uh tony is so street smart at this point that his gut knows but he doesn't want to know, uh, I mean that's fairly obvious in, in how the show is put together. And I, but yeah, he's he's well, got kind of a reminiscent, sad yeah. look in his eye, and and yeah, it's, it's it's coming up to the surface. And honestly, I guess it makes the most sense now because two of the biggest distractions are now gone because Janice and Richie have kind of played as this distraction. Because I mean, season two starts, Big Pussy's back, and Tony's really concerned about it, and it's almost like every time he's looking at Big Pussy, he's almost going to pass out. Then Richie yeah. shows up, and then Janice show up, and they're constantly just nagging from both sides. 
And I guess it works in that respect. Now they're gone, and now there's only one thing left to focus on, and yeah. it's this motherless fuck. This. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've done that in my life. I'm sure we all have, where it's like uh, something that that was worrying me goes to the bottom because I have to deal with these very specific <laughs> things right now. Then those are gone, and it's like fuck. I'm still worrying about this thing. Yes, of course I am. Yeah. Um. So there's also a a guy showing up with a suit. But it's not a suit. But they talk about it's someone's twin's brother later. Yes, and I'm it's like, Patsy. Who are they talking about? Well, the yeah. thing is, this was all, this was confusing to me when I first watched it. But do you remember they killed Philly in the first episode? He was the guy that they pretended to pick up at the airport or whatever. Oh, and okay, then he yeah. shot him in the car. And it's yeah. just kind of this weird thing where they wanted to use the actor again, kind of. So they just gave uh, him a they gave him a twin brother. But no one, honestly, no one would even have noticed. Uh, until yeah, a, no. DVDs came out, like, hey, wait a minute, That's, didn't that guy get killed? And I guess they, it's fun because they get to use him in the dream to be another trippy thing. Even though we, the audience, are like, who the fuck is that guy? I don't get it. But once you know, you're like, ah, now I get it. Yes. Um. And he brings home this suit to let, and he starts to let the air out, and oh, oh, he's being attacked. It is a fur coat. And I guess I, you know, I don't know the the what the going rate is on fur coats, but uh, given how they're portrayed in the media, I can only assume that even though you got a big nice house, uh, fur coat is still like whoa, so expensive and cool. Yeah, I think they could be pretty fucking expensive. Because again, I don't know either, but I think you can go like five to twenty thousand dollars on a stupid fur coat <laughs> because because so it's dumb. almost like we're not supposed to like oh that's an extra endangered animal or something or other. Well, but- yeah, exactly. So why <laughs> yeah. so don't do it then? Yeah, but of course, exactly. Carmilla's all excited and comes in all nude except the coat and gets on top of him, and it's all nice and easy, and everything's okay for Tony Soprano. Yeah, and uh, it's a nice contrast, too, because, you know, the last episode, Carmilla's been pissed at Tony the whole time, but it's just a nice way. I mean, she's getting her Rome trip, of course, so that's kind of nice for a while, but she's back to up to her old tricks. She's She's so happy. Like, she's so excited for her fur coat. It's like arena with her boots. Tony just knows the great <laughs> gifts to get. And, yeah, they get yeah. romance time, and it seems like things are things are kind of going well uh, until yeah. Tony's walking down the dock, and it's snowing in May or whenever it's supposed to be. Yeah, June. Um, but, I, I mean, I'm so, like, so on the trigger when it comes to this is a dream this is a dream <laughs> i've thought entire scenes were dreams before that weren't so of course immediately i'm like this is too dreamlike yeah. and then even before anything even happens in the scene i'm i'm like ah, clearly a dream uh but I, like i said i've done that and it's like oh the scene ended it was just a scene i guess uh but here he does uh, set himself on fire or uh, yeah that's how the the scene ends but Okay, we get into the di- he's got a diagnosis. He's just got a few months to live, so he's going to Sep- do the honorable thing: set himself on fire. September fifth, actor 5th. with a hole in his head, all that. It, it's interesting. They say September fifth. I mean, I don't think it amounts to anything. But like, if this was a Joss Whedon dream, you know, September fifth would be the fucking you know the day of the episode of something or other happens. But yeah, yeah you know, the doctor gave him uh, his his sentencing. He's going to die on the fifth, so he's going to do the good thing: set himself on fire. And then well, I think it's Christopher that's like. What if the doctor's wrong? Yeah, uh, and yeah, they blows up. Yeah. Now, uh, I think we've talked about this before. You're not a fan of dream sequences, in general, yes. And you know, I, I know you love Restless. I, I brought I, it up partially. 
Yeah. And I love this episode too, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And I, I don't dislike Restless and I don't dislike this episode, but it lowers stakes for me. Like I especially in this episode, like and, and in general when it's used this way, it's fine. It's just it's used so often in the other way, you know? When sure. it's like, I want a thing and I find out that I want that through this dream and it ends with a wacky thing and I wake up and I just kind of go like, there are other ways of doing this, this thing you want to do. Here it's about Tony going into his subconscious to retrieve the information, the treasure uh, that Big Pussy is a fucking traitor. And it's totally in line. Like, it's got good structure to it. It makes sense. Uh, I see why they did it and everything but the actual dreams and the contents of them i'm never like ooh, so many layers yeah these dreams are definitely more um the goofy side uh, in a lot of ways and uh i know we keep bringing up restless but i guess it's you know it's worth bringing up and like you said it was around the same time um and i think restless have a little bit more character stuff going on but they throw in some of the silly things as well I yeah. enjoy. I I guess I just I enjoy being in this heightened reality and and especially seeing some of the other characters and the way they're acting in his dreams. And I think it's important too because then when we cut to Tony when he wakes up, like I mean, initially he wakes up and he's just talking about his depression, yeah. but it continually keeps coming back where he keeps saying, "Just let me die," and uh, there's all a big nothing. And that's what we've been hearing from Tony for the past, you know, half a season, or I mean, basically the whole season for the most part. And I guess it does tie in really close to what he's coming to terms with, with Big Pussy. And maybe maybe there's a part of him that would just rather die than have to kill his friend. Uh, but again, like you said, it's not like the, the full friendship hasn't always been in the show, but they've kind of tried to fill in the gaps on it. Yes, yes. Um, and, and, and I mean, you're right. It, it, I see why they're doing this, and I think it's effective. It, it always just lowers the stakes for me a little bit when it's all <laughs> I, dreams. Understandable. Uh, but he wakes up and, you know, thinks it's all in its head and then, like, lowers his hand, like, it's coming from here. <laughs> and the reveal is that he's just super, super poisoned, uh, food poisoned, and uh, more comedic moments for our sitcom with all the farting and stuff going on. Uh, really good stuff. Also, of course, him, uh, Carmilla rushes out and Meadows there asks what's up. And it uh, says she got he got food poisoning from an Indian restaurant, and she says that's racist. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so the actual exchange is, your father is sick. Oh, my God, Daddy, what happened? He went to an Indian restaurant, and she says, let me see. That's so that's racist. So racist. Yeah. <laughs> what does she mean, Jim? <laughs> well, it's just funny because, I mean, I guess if you put it in the context of Meadow Soprano, I'm sure – uh, I'm sure like Tony or whatever, I've made comments before about Indian food and, and just the fact that that's their first thought that the Indian food did it. It's just a funny little moment. That's so racist. And then what is uh, AJ says something like who's letting off big ones or, or yeah, something like that. Yeah, another great, like a real good button on that. Cause we hear him farting all the way out here through two closed doors. Um, so yes, then we have a big pussy coming to skip and handing over a tape um 
this tape i don't remember exactly what it is i think it's uh, it's supposed to be from their basically their discussion that night like at the indian restaurant and then all right yeah, and yeah. then basically when when pussy's laying out the whole calling card thing it that's i mean even though it's just him talking though so i don't know how well like i don't I'm not a lawyer or agent so i don't know what they need specifically but he does yeah he has to turn over his money and I'm, I mean, even I'm sad about that when he hands over a big, <laughs> yeah. big envelope full of cash and he gets like 300 bucks back or something like that. Yeah. And he says, you know, some cooperators, when they get the new identity, they do real good. One snitch became a garbage commissioner in a good sized city in Florida. So Pussy's really coming down to earth as far as what his future is going to look like uh, if he happens to have one. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're back at the Sopranos house with the. Uh, Tony making a hundred trips back and forth to the bed and bathroom, and uh, he he drinks some Coca Cola, and uh, I think he goes back to sleep. Right? Yeah, Has yeah. Carmela, Carmela's taking care of him. He's sipping some Coke, and then he's back on the boardwalk. Uh, I think he's there's a quick shot of Junior like looking through a broken window. Uh, then we hear the Silvio like it's just a voice, kind of like a voice in the sky, being like, "Where are you going? What are you looking for?" And then he kind of slides up on him in like a, a Spike Lee-esque way when they're moving on like a, uh, what's it called, like a conveyor belt. And he says, uh, our true enemy has yet to reveal himself. Uh, much yeah. like we called out, I believe it was in the first episode of this season, he does the impression and it does cut mm-hmm. to Big Pussy right after he says that. And But to Tony, he's just smiling because he loves when Silvio does the impression. <laughs> Yeah. Did, oh, it cut to Big Pussy. I or did it? Does it cut to Big Pussy right after that? In the first episode, yes. When they're all hanging out. Oh, at the all bin. right. Then yeah. I thought you meant like quick flash in the oh, dream. But yeah, yeah, we were talking about that back then. Like, oh, what yeah. a line! And now <laughs> it's in his subconscious still from then, from when he came back. So he goes up and checks, uh, and he's grinning like you said. And he checks this these binoculars that they have on the boardwalk and uh, has a look at himself playing cards with Polly, Polly Walnuts, and then shooting Polly Walnuts. And I guess, you know, the obvious interpretation is he knows it's Big Pussy, but he still won't let himself think it. He yeah. knows the general thing, but doesn't want to think it. Yeah, he kind of just knows he has to kill a friend, basically, because then it goes right to a Melfi scene, and he's <laughs> uh, it's such a great scene because he's talking about, like, he's talking about Polly and the things that annoy him. Uh, yes. Like, Polly hums commercials and he types out uh, reports on his nieces and nephews on Christmas and, like, what they've been up to. <laughs> yes. Which I do believe in. And we also get a, I mean, we also get a quick shot of him waking up, and it's pretty, starts out pretty believable um, that this is actually oh, happening. Oh, that's right, yeah. Because um, he talks about fever dreams and th- stuff. I also, yeah, I almost wondered, did they maybe do something weird in the background of this shot? Like I noticed there was a like a statue in the window or whatever of of Melfi's office, uh, and I was like, was that there before? It probably was though, <laughs> because they make it pretty obvious uh, as uh, Melfi changes into the woman from it- Italy, yes, um, still with her own voice and talking about. Uh, I mean, self-destructive. Yeah, I was going to say she's talking about his anger and his self-destruction. And again, I guess that ties in to, you know, he's lighting himself on fire in his previous dream. Uh, So, I mean, and we we have seen Tony just wants to die kind of in a a small part of him because there really is no point to any of this shit, because even when things are good, 
there's always something bad like your friend who's uh you know betraying you yeah yeah so um more dreams going on here in a uh, tiny car yeah <laughs> yeah he's waking up again chattering and he's in a fart car that goes <laughs> like it's a big small red car with everyone and he gets the toilet paper and it it shoots off he wakes up he's just farting so you know outstanding <laughs> emmy indeed <laughs> And then uh, Artie shows up because he's going over the menu for Meadows' graduation party. And uh, Tony, is that Artie? <laughs> Send him up here. Tony, you don't make sense when you when you talk. <laughs> Send him up. Because, uh, yeah, now now it's not the Indian restaurant. Now it's the mussels he ate at Artie's restaurant. He saw him when he puked him up. And Artie hilariously is, like, taking it very personal because, I mean, understandable. This is the new Vesuvio's. He can't have this uh word getting out he's got an a rating uh and he's you know he brings i think he even makes a comment about the indian restaurant like oh why would you eat there uh he even goes to the point of calling big pussy to see if he's okay because he really wants to prove a point and he really digs like oh but you had different main courses right and uh you're fine so you know i'm vindicated (laughs) uh he talks about how they fry everything in rancid butter and they had you know they had the Set fire to the Dalai Lama or no, maybe whoever the fuck they're talking about. Buddha? No, not Buddha. I'm an idiot. Yeah. Um, and he runs off to the bathroom again. Um, and then more dreams. Uh, again, with Melfi, this time with a big erection from the start. Uh, this time less of a question of whether it's real or not. And uh, talking about pussy. I mean, he fucks her. What else? Is there anything Well, I mean, it's great like Albert and Costello stuff because... At first, she's like, who's your friend? And, you know, is she talking about the boner or is she talking about his friend? And then it's like, when you say pussy, are you talking about my friend pussy or are you talking about, you know, pussy? And it's like, I got pussy on the brain all the time. So, you know, a lot of great stuff going on here. Uh (laughs) Right. It would be great if his name wasn't literally pussy and it's a really weird name. And I feel weird saying it a hundred times on this (laughs) podcast already. Um, because it's not really a pun when your name is just pussy. <laughs> and well, right but, before yeah. this, we do see Livia at the airport and security comes, uh, to kind of take her away. And yeah. then, yeah, then it goes to this and then, then they got a great cut where it's like, why is he smiling? Uh, because he's in the middle of fucking Melfi in his dream, but he's like teeth are chattering and he's like cold <laughs> and Dr. Kusamano's there. And, you know, Tony's saying, let me die. Uh, yeah. And they're just even kind of saying there's not really a lot they could do anyways. Uh, even if he went to the hospital, you just got to kind of like tough it out for the most part. Yeah. So regarding these glimpses into his psyche, uh, in his dream, Melfi says that um, he, he, she finds him very attractive. And uh, uh, something about him, what was it? I wanted to bring up that it, it, when it talked about being repulsive, uh, I find you Im- immensely attractive. Thought I repulsed you. Um, and, and she says, you make an effort to repulse me, which I think is true. Um, he like really tries hard to like make an impact on her. And he also says, uh, but you like that, uh, you like the, the repulsiveness. And we know that that's kind of true because she gets a bit of a vicarious thrill, uh, through all of this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of like, she, she said herself. It's like watching like a train accident or something like you don't want to look away and you want to see what happens next. So it is pretty, uh, pretty astute of Tony that he does kind of know he, he kind of knows the game. Um, 
So then from there, uh, yeah, we we get to the dream where, you know, it is the talking fish and we hear pussy and it's, you know, it's it doesn't take a lot to put together. I mean, they even kind of call it out for the most part. These two fish next to me are sleeping. You know, don't yeah. say that. Uh, you know, I've been talking to the FBI. What'd you give them? I gave them tons. I gave them a lot of stuff. They know a lot. Uh, and, you know, it is, even though it's such a silly like he's talking to a dead fish that's got a CGI mouth with a man's voice, and yep. Uh, but it is, it's it's effective, and you know, I guess I understand what you're saying that that's more like effective in a way than you know him on the boat, I guess. Yeah, and uh, I make an effort every episode of every podcast we do not to uh, bring up the hero's journey every time, but uh, it, it it even though the dreams are weird, it's so clearly well structured and how it goes where he crosses into this uh subconscious world and he has to dig himself deeper uh into it before he can get to this and we see the steps he's taking as he's getting further and further away from the conscious world i mean the hero's journey is all about going from the uh conscious world to the subconscious world you can put different labels on those if you want but it's from the known into the unknown and uh Typically, you'd put some sort of meeting with the goddess at the bottom of this circle uh, that you're going through, and that is Melfi and what he's going through there. And then you have a quote-unquote confrontation with the father, which is just where you uh, face the consequences of what you've done, um, where you, you face the thing you didn't want. You get the meeting with the goddess, which is what you wanted, and then you get the bad thing afterwards because you've gone through it now, and now he can retrieve the information. He's taken the steps. He's seen himself shoot Polly. He's uh, heard Silvio talk about the true enemy, all of that getting him deeper into it, um, and also Melfi, the two scenes he had with Melfi, getting him into uh, a deeper state, and now he's starting to emerge, and he's bringing with him this information back into the conscious world. So so that's why even though i'm like oh dreams it, it, it works out uh really well yes yeah yeah absolutely and uh because i was i mean remembering because it's been a while since i watched it i like i mean there's still a good amount of dream sequences but for some reason i just thought there were more and then it, and even like getting to this showdown with big pussy i forgot that there's even more to the episode than that because obviously it's yeah. like the big thing you think about um because yeah then it comes to tony is basically he's up getting ready and carmelo's like are you fucking serious <laughs> like what yes. are you doing he's, he's having trouble buttoning his his shirt because he's got to go out and it's like you just wanted to die and you couldn't do anything a second ago um but he you know that you can't wait on this and they show yeah. up and even to the point where like um pussy doesn't have time it's kind of like what they talked about with uh with jimmy in season one where it's like he didn't have time to put on like something comfortable or whatever so yeah they uh, they play it pretty well and it's like it's interesting because everyone knows the situation even puss knows what's going on but you kind of have to see it through because what else can you do yes and he, Tony digs around. I mean, he wants to find evidence. Like he said to Polly Walnuts in season one, like, you better be one yeah. fucking 100% sure. He's not going to, like, he thinks this is the case, but uh, he has to dig around a bit first, using his illness as, like, a cover because he's pretending to throw up as he searches through and finds the tapes. And then I love the, I mean, we have joked around about the sitcom stuff, huh. but there's this final dream sequence <laughs> yeah, where uh, he... 
they they're about to go off and buy the boat quote unquote and he gets to come home and, and say like oh i bought the boat and they're all sitting on one side of the table like you do in a sitcom and it's shot you know multi-camera style maybe even with multi-camera setup probably not but could have been and they're talking about oh meadow decided to go to the place where we all wanted her to go and they're applauding and i'm surprised they didn't put a laugh track on it yeah um because that's so clearly what they're going for. He's sort of clinging on to this sitcom American dream life where he doesn't have to kill pussy. Yep. Yeah. And then he wakes up and yeah, they're on their way. Free Fallen's playing uh, by Tom Petty. I mean, I just wanted to call it out. And then they even show up to the boat. Polly's already there. And uh, like, I just like the look, like the look on on big pussy's face it's just kind of like he you know where this is going but there's this small chance that maybe it's not so you gotta kind of play along because if you do just try to turn and run away or something like (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah yeah uh so so they get on the boat i mean we didn't mention but there's this creaking sound yes in all the dreams which is very prominent and it, honestly, I had to like read it on the Wikipedia that oh, it's the same creaking sound that's on the boat because it's very loud in the dream and not as loud on the boat. Honestly, I didn't put it together till I was pulling the clip before. And I swear I didn't read it on Wikipedia yet, but I never noticed it before. But then when I was pulling the clip to open the episode, because yeah. I was like, oh, there's a lot of silence here, and I was trying to trim it, and I was like, wait a minute, and then I went back and saw it, and I thought I was like, oh my god, I found this out, and now it's just uh-huh. right on the Wikipedia. Everyone knows already. Uh, yeah. But yes, the creaking and the the sounds we hear throughout the dream sequences. But yeah, it's more like it should be when they're on the boat. It's just in the background, but uh, clearly in the dreams, it's like right out in front and just kind of off-putting. So yeah, comically, uh, Big Pussy, as they head down uh, below deck, gets to uh, turn on the CD right with the worst <laughs> timing, so they yeah. got to listen to this cheery music i don't remember what it was it's a sinatra Um, song i don't know the song mm. offhand but yeah sinatra's playing oh yeah bangles bobbles and beads that's what the one Ah. um and uh yeah so uh (laughs) why are you making me do this this you fat fucking miserable piece of shit and uh big pussy's still you know he's not letting go quite yet but he knows the jig is up and he kind of breaks down a bit yeah you know when did they flip you uh, don't lie. You know, it's been about a year and a half. What have they given? What are you giving him? And he's like the calling cards. And Paulie's like, I'm not in that. What else? Because he <laughs> he really wants to know what's going on. Uh, it talks about the sc- the Scatino bust out with David. Um, and I mean, I like how how they have Silvio play this because you know it's not like Silvio's gonna like tear up or you know. Th- like get super emotional, but just the fact that he goes up above and has to like get out of the scenario for a little while, like that's enough. Like that tells us everything about it kind of. Um, And then even they have like a quick back and forth when Tony's like, what are you doing? And you know, don't yell at me. I'll fucking yell at you. Like, you know, they're kind of going at each other because this situation they're in and pussy's trying to, pitch it as like you know this disinformation thing you know this could work and yeah maybe it could maybe it could right 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard because we know it's not like, well, apart from last episode, it's not like he's like FBI's number one boy. Uh, he has been telling them bullshit and he has still been doing crimes and he murdered a guy for <laughs> just seeing him in a store. Remember that, everybody? Mm. Uh, so I was a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, he, he really tries to sell that part. And it's like, even if, even if it's true, and it is, kind of, because he's been telling them bullshit and he does tell them, like, like what he's been feeding them and whatnot, it's still like yeah, but you're gonna die though. So yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's why. And then I like that it plays out to this. You know, he's sitting there, and then they're just sitting there. Now they're just quiet. And then he asks if there's tequila, and they all share the like a shot. And then you know. Pussy keeps pouring because it's like, let's keep this moment going. Now it's getting, let's remind them old times. We're all friends here. Uh, and then he has to go and talk about the fucking acupuncturist down in Jamaica, Puerto Rico, wherever it was that he was supposed to be. And I guess it's like, I guess it could go either way. Either she didn't exist and he's lying and he's just so in this mode or he's telling the truth. But the look on his face is like, oh, yeah, they're never going to believe anything I ever say again. So there's no point, you know, anymore. Yeah. I don't I didn't believe it. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I guess maybe I did until Tony said that. And I was like, yeah, of course, it's not true. But then mm, I'm trying to remember when he came back was Skip in the FBI like, oh, you went AWOL for this long and we're so upset with you. Or was Skip in the FBI like, good that you're back. And like we planned, they never really say the only thing we do have that moment where Polly says, I looked into his story. It all checks out everything. Yeah. But then again, Polly Walnuts could just be bad <laughs> at his job. Uh, he's good at his job here, though. There is a, 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 a quick look between them or not quick where, you know, Big Pussy looks up at him. We see Polly Walnuts with his stone face go back to Big Pussy and then go back to Polly Walnuts still with his stone face. And it's kind of like, oh, now. You've been on the other side. Now you're on this side, and even your closest friends have to do this to you now, and giving you this sort of face. Yeah, but even yeah. and and even the fact that like they share a laugh together, like I do think that they're legit. Like laughing at is, you know, I go down on her every night, like because you know they love that stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, they you know, have a great sense of humor. it means up your ass, cocksucker. Like <laughs> you know, they they enjoy yeah. that stuff. Um, yeah. But I guess it just so I, I just love the idea that he tells that story because even if it is true, it's such the bad story. It's such the bad reminder in this moment. Like, don't bring up the 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 time you disappeared for six months or whatever because they thought you were a rat. Yeah. Now that they know you're a rat, like he could have been any. It could have been anything. It could, but then again, I guess it would have been like David Scatino when he's like, "Hey, remember that time I saved you from those guys." And then Tony's yeah. like, ah, duh, don't go down nostalgia road with me right now. Yeah, I mean, he he gets a chuckle. They, they all give, give a good chuckle before it's like, hey, did she even exist? Uh, so I feel like whatever he brought up wouldn't have been good. The only other True. thing he gets to say after the guns come out is like, oh, I'm getting lightheaded. Can I sit down? Is that okay, Tony, if I sit? Doesn't fucking matter. We're going to shoot you now. Yeah. And well, they do. He, he does also ask to keep his eyes. He asks not in the face. Yeah. Let me keep my yeah. eyes. Um, and then, yeah, they're like, you're like a brother to us. And yeah, can I sit down? I feel like it's hitting me. Now I'm wondering, maybe it's just the food poisoning that's about to. <laughs> 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 but, 
But yeah, they yeah. all they they put some caps in them, and then Polly goes and takes his jewelry. What a Polly yes. thing, by the way. Yeah, what are you gonna like? What if they are found on the body? He could be identified through his weird jewelry. No one had as weird jewelry as he did. He's doing the responsible thing, if you ask me. Hashtag Team Polly Walnuts. Uh, I'm back on board compared to last season. It is weird how it, like TV shows like this make it seem like it'd be so easy to kill someone because oh, yeah. it really does feel like if you waded someone down and just dumped them off in the middle of the ocean, how the fuck are they finding that? Well, we we watched a lot of Dexter. You know, we were young. We didn't know better. And uh, he, all those bodies came back up eventually. But There's always going to be someone diving or something. To be fair, uh, he had like 50 bodies all in the same area. I don't think yeah, Tony's like, let's go to the spot where we drop all our yeah. bodies. Yeah, that's true. I did wonder about the boat, though, because I was like, oh, bloodstains, ooh, CSI. But yeah. then like, no, of course not. <laughs> It's the airline tickets they're going to get you on. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, then Tony's back at home just watching like a Motown show, but he's annoyed. I think he's like arguing with Carmelo over something or other. Yes. Uh, and, yeah, they call from Livia from uh, airport security about the tickets. Uh, and the FBI also shows up uh, with a warrant and they found some tickets in his truck and they're going to take him in. Yeah, and he gets to get arrested when he's all sick and he murdered his best friend. So, of course, he's not going to be uh, light on his feet when he's doing his fingerprinting. Uh, but, yeah, he gets put in this cage. And I was like, that's a weird cage. But then I'm like, well, I guess it's the Federal Bureau. They don't – it's not like the fucking police station. Well, they got it, a special Tony cage. It's like, yeah, it's more like a holding, like you're in holding yeah. somewhere. I guess they didn't quite have a cage like that in Night Of, but it wasn't too far off. Yeah, uh, but the Night Of was – like general crimes i was thinking yeah. like this has to be not quite the police station this is like the fbi place yeah which is why there aren't other like drunks or whatever in there um, and then before this they they are giving him the perp walk right as meadow and her friends come home uh yeah and so all his, her friends are there and then she has to say i'm graduating tomorrow and storm upstairs but in the next scene with carmilla meadow shows um that she she gets it she says this is who my father is if my friends don't like it they can go fuck themselves basically very, um, uh, which Tony is Soprano. pretty much in line with what she was doing season one i thought with the the connecting they were doing there but i guess the thing where she got the car of her friend and that that's kind of been building up to this because this is like her climax in this uh, season her arc mm-hmm <laughs> Well, because, I mean, we even saw, yeah, when she got the car and she flipped out, but then when she got into an argument with, what's David's son, Eric, I think, yeah. uh, about the solo, well, not the solo, like the performance they were going to do, and it's like, it's not like, you know, uh, it's not like my dad made your dad gamble or whatever it is, or like when Tony told her, a grown man made a wager, he lost. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh, and Tony so, uh, at the FBI he does say, uh, you're not going to be getting any more platters from me. So, <laughs> Yes. No more deli platters. Um, and then he talks to his lawyer, Tony, um, just like Junior did last episode. And uh, he, uh, he, Tony's pretty worried, pretty shook about all these uh, accusations. And he's got predications up the ass and Rico, 30 to life. And I don't know how... Like, I don't know how serious this is. I just felt like, because I started feeling with the airline tickets when they came out, like, shit, is next season going to be 
Tony in jail season, or, or maybe they're going to get him on something small just because, and he's going to be in for a little bit. Um, but uh, I, I, it's really hard for me to tell if something's going to something major is going to come for this or not. Well, yeah, I, bail anyway. I agree because it's you know the way Tony's acting. Like I kind of believe him, even though I guess Tony's still kind of reacting to other things, not just this. Uh, mm-hmm. Because the way his lawyer's talking, it's almost like this is a lawyer full of shit. And he's just trying to keep Tony from uh, freaking out here because even when they bring him out and like there's press everywhere and it seems like it's a big deal. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a real hard read on on who to believe here because the lawyer's like, ah, they got nothing and they know it. And then Tony's bringing up all this stuff like, no, they can connect it to this, this and this. This is ridiculous. So I, I don't really know how to read it either. Yes. Um, so therapy time. It's the last therapy session. Um, and he's really mad about his mother and the airline tickets. And Melfi believes that his madness is uh, actually, you know, something he's doing because it's easier than feeling sadness, which is what he's actually going through. And she pro she probes. She says, "I know you. Like I I know now that there's something else that's bothering you." And uh, given their special relationship, he still can't say like, "Yeah, I murdered a guy I was really close to." So. Uh, Instead, he just leaves. Now, I do think this is a walkout, by the way. Well, yes, but we didn't count the death either, so let's start with that one. Okay, (laughs) yeah, so we got a little catching up to do. First, we got to throw one up on the old uh, death counter. And then, of course, with a little walkout. Fuck you! (laughs) Oh, man, we got to get either the clip where he's like, I don't need any more therapy today, um, or the clip at the end here when he's walking out singing like, baby, or whatever he's, he's yeah, doing. Yeah, baby, baby. Now, I, I do like how this plays out because it does feel like uh, an extension with last episode and then going into this episode, Melfi is kind of getting things back on track. It feels like Melfi's more in control and yeah. she's trying to be good Melfi again, not drunk Melfi. And she even admits to him, you know, I became frightened of you. And yeah. even though Tony's kind of trying to block everything she's saying, I, I do feel like he reacts to that in a way where he understands and it's, you know, completely his fault and it's completely valid for her to feel that way. Uh, yeah, she says, I haven't pushed you enough to confront these things. And uh, I said, you know, we had Big Pussy and Melfi's drinking and one of them got resolved and the other one didn't. But I guess in a way this uh, I kind of don't want another season of her just getting more (laughs) drunk. So I'm going to say this is probably the end of that because she realizes I haven't pushed you enough. He hasn't made progress in therapy. He hasn't had any use of it. He's just been sitting there uh, boring himself while she looks like she's drugged up, like he said. So I think that's, um, even though it hasn't been brought on by anything specific that I can see in her storyline, except just going deeper into bad bad stuff, uh, it's still, uh, I'm, I'm down with her heading up the ladder again towards more positive things, and especially because that will let the therapy get more interesting and not just, like, look at this train wreck. Yeah, and I think, it, I guess it's almost like you can read from what we've seen in the show, her thing with the smoker, for for someone like Melfi, that is like a rock bottom type thing. Yeah. I mean, she's already has her therapist telling her what's going on. She already knows as a therapist what she's doing is wrong and she's on a spiral. 
So it's kind of nice. We don't really need to see this moment where she goes to get the bottle and then like throws it in the trash or something. It's you just pick it up here from the way she's acting because it's a complete 180 from what we've been seeing of her in therapy. And it's just it's bad timing because Tony's in this mode of like, uh, you know, he's dealing with his mother. He's dealing with just killing big pussy and he's dealing with this potential rico act or whatever the the you know his court case so he doesn't want any of this right now Uh, yeah of course he's also upset at the indians because she does say you go off on a racist (laughs) rant about indian food so i guess meadow wasn't that far off we cut into the scene right after that i assume yeah and uh i love her line when he says something like i had a dream i fucked the shit out of you and she's like you threw that at me like a rock because it's like she completely like spells out what he's doing and it, and it takes yeah. out any of like, like, cause he is just trying to get a, get a reaction. Um, and it kind of deflates his whole thing. And he's just trying to say, uh, I do like when he's like, Oh, poor me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, cause, cause she wants him to stay with the sadness and, uh, brings up all these things that he should be sad about. And, uh, you know, he just starts uh, saying, fuck you. And then he's singing. Yeah. And, and it almost feels not like a cheat, but it almost it runs up to the line where she kind of knows something else is going on. But I believe it. I believe that she knows him well enough that she can pick up that. I mean, obviously, the thing going on that he can't bring up is that, you know, he just sunk pussy to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, yes. And it's just another thing, another chip on his shoulder. And yeah, it just he you know he tries to just be all like feet on the table, fucking fuck this shit, and then he just gets up and leaves. Yeah, I mean that's supposed to be our superpower, seeing through bullshit, and that's I guess why he's been bored in therapy because he's been saying stuff that is bullshit, and she's been going like, "Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed the movie," or "I'm glad you good for you, you turned off the movie," because I'm drunk and I don't know what you're talking <laughs> yeah, about. I don't know what's happening right now. Um, I guess real, real quick, uh, I, I know we kind of passed some of the big pussy stuff, but before we finish up this discussion, let me see if I can pull it up real fast. I actually didn't see this until recently. There is a cut scene that shows I'm done when, uh, oh yeah, here it is. That shows when big pussy was nabbed by the, uh, by the feds or what have you. Uh, so we might as well play it real quick. Oh shoot! Hold on, did I lose you? <laughs> hold on, when I was setting that up, I might have. Hold on, are you back? Uh, I guess Sorry. so. Sorry, I lost you for a moment. My bad. But yeah, no, That's I have right. a I have a cut scene here. Let me pull it up. Uh, it's him getting nabbed from pushing H. Uh, and I, f- which is weird. Why would they be put that in as a flashback or something? I guess I I, I guess it's not that great of a scene. But uh, <laughs> <pull> <laughs> let's have a look at yeah. it then. <laughs> I'm denying all this. My lawyer's not here, and you guys are fucking with me. Ike, run the visual aid. This is the best fucking H you can get on the East Coast. 90% pure. You said 125 a unit, right? Yeah. All right, here it is. 375,000. Nice doing business with you. Anytime. Have a Merry Xmas. Motherfucker! It's fucking entrapment. I'm telling you guys, I want my fucking lawyer. You call your lawyer, Sal, it's over. No deals. I don't want any fucking deals. Hey, 
The federal minimum for the sale of narcotics. You're an old man at best when you get out. What about your family? Your boys, Matt and Kevin. If their father goes to jail, who's going to pay for college? And your daughter, she's getting married, isn't she? You wanted to bring your grandchildren to federal prison to say hello to grandpa? I can't. I can't flip on my friends. Be home in time for Christmas with your family. Or 25 years in jail. That's what you have to do, Sal. Look, I'm gonna set my watch. I'm gonna give you 15 minutes to make a decision on this. I'd like to give you longer, but I have other problems here that I have to deal with. Besides, too long, and your friends are gonna start wondering where you went. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I guess I get why they why they cut that. <laughs> it really goes to show that a show is made three times. You make it in the writing, and you go and shoot it. You're making the show again. You get an opportunity to do all sorts of things, and then you make it in the edit. Uh, that's the third time you get to make the show. And even a great writer like uh, David Chase will write this scene, or maybe it's from another episode, and then realize, wow, this is totally redundant. Uh, it doesn't add anything. And in fact, uh, I don't know if you're on the video feed on youtube.com slash shows what you know, but it looks a bit like a student film or something yeah. like that, the way it's shot. <laughs> yeah, it's almost shot at first kind of like a security camera footage of him in the like the holding area where they uh, uh, ask you questions and shit. And then it's just kind of, you know, nothing really interesting. I, I wonder, though, I mean, I I'd have to look deeper into it. I don't know if that was supposed to be from season two or if there was a chance that that was kind of filling in the blanks for season one. Uh, but either way, yeah, it's just we already get it. We already knew we, we could already assume that that happened. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Salvatore Bombancero started out as a cat burglar and was affectionately known as Big Pussy. Uh, because of his of this early career, pussy in reference to a pussy cat, since he was a cat burglar, it is also very mm. likely he started out solely with the nickname Pussy. But then he got the nickname Big Pussy to avoid confusion with Little Pussy Malenga. The name confusion is referenced in the first episode when Tony's confidant, Herman Hesh Rabkin, mistakenly believes that Junior wants to whack Big Pussy. Tony corrected him by saying, Junior planned to whack Little Pussy. <laughs> yeah, very true, very true. It's funny uh, that it's because well, that- it's a cat burglar. Yeah, well, they they do mention it when they're cracking safe, like, yeah. oh, even Big Pussy started out as a cat burglar. But anyway, we're closing the book on Big Pussy, yes, um, and uh, going to graduation, and uh, you know, it's a proud moment. It's a family moment. Uh, it, it's like not really a scene. It's just like, wow, this is amazing. And uh, afterwards, Tony gets to say to um, to uh, well, gets to say to Junior to get the fuck out of there. Um, and also he wants to give the big button to Christopher. Yes. Uh, which means becoming a made man. Yes. I fucking deserve it. <laughs> I got no spleen, Gene. <laughs> uh, uh, I miss it, Christopher. It, it, Christopher really, I mean, I wonder what's been going on with him this season. I mean, I know he got shot. He got to see uh, Purgatory or what have you, but uh, he was doing a lot of drugs, and that sure didn't, you know, we sure didn't get, get any payoff on that. Like, I'm going to stop doing drugs, or I'm going to do lots more drugs. 
nothing really on that, so I'm a bit worried. I mean, he did well, get engaged. Yes, he did get engaged. We saw that engagement. We didn't see the Janice and Richie one. Uh, I mean, I guess if there's one thing, if you know anything about being an addict, is that you're an addict forever, forever no matter what. Cool. Whether you're, yep. you're either a clean addict or you're an addict. So I think we'll just see where that goes. Yeah, great. <laughs> Why can't you just do drugs recreationally like a responsible adult? Exactly. Um, when he when he when Tony snatches hold of Junior, he says, "Oh, Carmilla sees you. She's gonna cut you a new asshole." Kind of showing that, you know, it's not like they're best buds or anything. But it's not like Tony went up like, "How dare you show yourself here?" That yeah, their their situation has obviously been repaired a bit compared mm-hmm. to season one. Um, and he also gets to run into the, the I forget his name, David. the T one thousand. Yes, yeah, yeah, David. Yeah. And uh, he's going to go live on a farm. And I didn't even get until, like, the scene was over, like, oh, the farm's near Vegas. Oh, yeah, that's a good choice. Great place for you. I was just like, Vegas, yeah, where Jim's from. And I was like, oh, no, that's bad. That's bad for this guy. Well, and also he's kind of – he's going out to be, like, a cowboy, basically. He's going to go live on a ranch. And they also kind of retcon because – Last we'd thought, I mean, not only did they retcon Vic in the previous episode where he's like, oh, oh my God, do you know who her husband is? But now Eric's going to state school. I thought Vic was going to pay for Georgetown. But I thought that's, uh, but I think they, I mean, Tony says he's going to state school. And then. But then uh, David goes, yeah, but he got into Georgetown. But like, I, but I think uh, he's saying it in a way of like, you know, hey, it's no small potatoes. He could have went to Georgetown. At least that's how I read it. He says he got accepted at Georgetown. It's a little money pinch, and yeah. I don't know what that means. Yeah, they can't afford it, so he's going to have to okay. go to state school. Stupid Vic well, didn't I, come I through. Well, I guess he wouldn't be going to any school if, um, <laughs> I guess, community college if uh, Vic didn't pitch in. But he, also, he said he'd pay for the education. He didn't say, I'll give him the most expensive education you got. Yeah, but also David, uh, I think he, he throws a small jab at Tony because he says, you know, you could just hop on an air and on on an airline and yeah. fly on out there because you know yep. clearly it's been on the news and stuff. What's going on with Tony and David knows the connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, Tony just says kind of like good luck. Yeah, and, good luck uh, in Vegas. Walks on out of there. So we're at the party, or I mean, the rest is just montage. We're doing a like season one ended with a montage. We're doing another montage, and uh, it's, it's since you said the the finales are directed by the same guy i'm just gonna assume every season ends with a montage because it's such a good way well of, even uh I, this season started with a montage as well very true yeah. uh it's a good way of tying it all together because like we said they keep the um they keep the mob stuff pretty separate from the family stuff i mean that's what tony wants to do anyway and um in general like it's not like the mob stuff is portrayed as super dramatic all the time. It's just kind of life, and a montage is a great way of showing different life happening all at the same time, all over the place, showing the connected network of everything happening, kind of like The Wire, like, who here's a piece and another piece, all while you're getting your graduation pictures taken. Well, and also, well, I mean, we get a quick line from Angie Bumpensero, who's like, uh, I told Sal it was today, that self-centered, you know, piece yeah, of shit or yeah. whatever. And it's kind of like uh, part of it's like life goes on. And part of it is like this stuff that causes misery for other people. Like this is the it's all for this. It's for these happy 
moments like we were having this happy moment in a mansion while other people are suffering you know we got david whose whole life is over and he has to drive out west to get a job somewhere we got people going to adult theaters and you know women getting taken advantage of we got the wabistics offices closed people getting scammed on calling cards druggies at a what was a nice what's what was once a nice fine hotel and yeah. it's all for the good of this man tony soprano uh, and even though he's got it all, he's got the smiling faces in the pictures inside. He wants to fucking die. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> yes, Sopranos. that's the American dream. Yeah. Um, uh, a great, a great summary of, of how it ends, Jim. Well done. Thank you. I, I'll say like if we can pin down some overall thoughts and themes, season one was definitely a lot about family. I mean, that's why the big conflict with junior was so central and the ducks, of course, he was afraid of his family going to pieces which it kind of did and now he's gonna have even more of an empty nest uh no ducks and no meadow um in the future maybe i don't know um (laughs) we'll see but uh season two feels like it was very much centered more around him dealing with nihilism and not believing in anything what would you say was like central this season yeah i think i think that's uh that's pretty on the money or basically still dealing with that even when I, I think there's been more than one time this season where he's talked about things are good so why the fuck am I so miserable and <laughs> yeah. I, I think a lot of people obviously can relate to that not that you know it's like everyone's woe is me but it's just the idea you think you need something and then you get it and you're like what well, this isn't the thing this didn't fill the yeah. hole god damn it what would I gotta fill the yeah. hole with which uh, adds up because he's the big boss now. Yes. Um, and he's worrying more than before about everything going on. And, you know, more money, more problems, but even more money, more psychological issues as well. Um, so there you go, Tony. More things to worry about. And then I think a lot of it, a lot of this season is just about how Tony affects other people and how he kind of makes their life worse, whether yeah. it be on purpose or not just like his weird existence can affect other people. I mean, as we've seen with, I mean, Carmela directly and then with Vic and then of course with Melfi and how she has to deal with her life. And I mean, the happy wanderers like David Scatino or these weird victims that kind of fall prey to what his lifestyle needs. Um, and I think it's in, well, yeah, it is in this episode where she's, where Meadow mentions, you know, fuck what my friends think. Because yeah. Carmilla kind of rewords what Tony said a few times where it's like he does this, you know, everything he does, it's for us. It's for your brother, you and me and, and this family. And again, there's some truth to that. But also it's because he's like he's just like a selfish like asshole, too. So, yeah. And uh, he likes it. Just yes. like. Yeah. Uh, oh, you're right. Yeah. He, he gets joy from it. Yeah. Just like Walter White. Um but hey, what do you think the central issue of season two is? And what are your thoughts on it? Your favorite season? Your least favorite season? Well, let us know by sending an email to showswhatyouknowshow at gmail.com. Let me ask you a question, too, before we finish up. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, we I think we talked about this in the first episode. We've talked about it here and there because now that we're in this, you know, 2018, about 20 years since the show premiered, and we have the hindsight of seeing shows that are similar or were birthed from The Sopranos. Now that you're in two seasons deep where the show started really hitting and becoming popular, is it meeting your expectations? Is it what you kind of expected? Is it, 
uh, where, what are your thoughts on the show so far as a whole? I was thinking watching this finale that what was going on at the end of season one was more exciting. And especially with Tony, uh, like you reminded me, uh, I think last episode, when he's uh or no it's this episode i get confused uh when uh he's screaming about how his mother is smiling look at the smile on her face um that moment and in general just the maneuvering with junior and who's going to come out on top that stuff combined made season one more exciting than season two i still think they did the right thing in season two because you don't want to like just amp it up on action and stuff like that. And like you said, he's at the top. What's going to happen next? He's got to deal with his like new position and finding out that this isn't even going to make me happy. And what is the purpose of anything? So I guess it's kind of meeting my expectations. Um, I, I like, I still like season two, but I'm glad that there are seasons left to go. And if this was the end of the show, I'd be like, oh yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. That was a good show. Um, but it, they have so much more space to delve into things that I, I guess my, I, it's as I expected, it's very good, but I expect even more of this show moving forward. I don't know if that's uh, good or not. No, I think that makes sense. I think that, I think that makes complete sense. And, um, I guess on the rewatch, some of my thoughts, I, um, I really appreciate now the, like we talked about it you know, within the past few episodes and even in this episode, like not so much like subversion, but, and I I guess I kind of already said this, but it's almost like you get the feeling that they're not interested in this game in a mob war. (laughs) Yeah. And even though, you know, that's what like you'd easily do that and everyone would fucking love it, whether it be now or then when the show was really picking up steam. Uh, but I mean, obviously they are, they're interested in in it in extent because we're still going to get mob hits. We're still going to get, you know, uh, showdowns and maybe someone getting beat up in broad daylight. We're we're still going to see the machismo of the mafia and like throwing your power around and, you know, beating up, throwing hot coffee on someone in a a, a office setting or whatever. But they're clearly not as interested in that. Like they, they want to put that through there, but they want to, I guess, throw these characters together and kind of see how they affect each other. And yeah. it kind of takes like a like a patient hand in a way to to really kind of let things simmer a bit and kind of let things play out. And almost to the point where parts of season two do seem all over the place because it's like Richie's a thing, then Richie's not a thing for a little while, Pussy's a thing, and then Pussy's not a thing for a little while, and it's all yeah. kind of happening. And they don't, I mean, I already said this before, but yeah, they don't take the the road most traveled. They try to kind of dig their own path. And I think that's some of the, it can be sometimes the most frustrating, but also sometimes the most rewarding part of the show. I think that's also what uh, a lot of shows learned from The Sopranos, because I haven't seen all of The Sopranos, but what you're describing is something I recognize in television now that definitely wasn't there in the 90s. Mm, uh, absolutely. This thing where it's 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 a high-concept show, but it's not all about the high concept. You, that's just to pull you in, and then we're just going to make a great show <laughs> uh, that you didn't expect to see. Yes, Absolutely. So I, I did have one uh, question. You recommended a 
uh, movie for us to watch between seasons. Uh, I wondered if we should right. give that out to give people a chance to watch it before we discuss it. This is a film that apparently crops up a bit in season three, so why not get into that one? Yes. Uh, we're still very much open to suggestions uh, for other stuff to put between seasons, so you can send us an email at showswhatyouknowshow at gmail.com. But between season two and three, we're going to watch... We should watch... Well, yeah, for people that don't know, if you didn't hear, if you haven't been listening since the season one finale, in between seasons, we're going to try to maybe break it up and look at some other media and discuss it in the context of The Sopranos. And this movie does play a part early in season three, so I think it's worth watching. Uh, The Public Enemy, 1931 drama crime film starring... Wait, who stars in this movie? Um, Let me pull it up real quick. Um, Well... uh, I don't know. Uh, James Cagney, Gene Harlow, Edward Woods, and Joan Blondell. James Cagney, we all we all know him. So it's nice. Let's let's take a deep. Let's take a look back. I mean, we'll watch Goodfellas between season one, season two. If you haven't heard our discussion on that, check it on the podcast feed. So before we get into season three, let's watch a classic gangster film and see how it kind of levels up with The Sopranos and some of the more modern day uh, gangster movies. Yeah, I mean, Goodfellas was like 1990. Uh, this one, Public Enemy, is like 1931. <laughs> yes. And yep. I, at some point, we're going to go in the middle. Like, we know we have to watch Godfa- The yes. Godfather, uh, which is from the 70s, of course, uh, in between somewhere. But we're going to go with this one since it relates. And uh, hopefully, you'll be interested in hearing that. Otherwise, the next uh, episode of cut to black will be season three episode one i also wanted to mention we're not totally sure there might be a slight break between episodes uh because i am moving and everything but we're gonna try our best and see if we can get everything out on time otherwise don't worry this train is not stopping every episode of the sopranos we just keep on chugging along and one day i'm gonna be a fully grown i don't know like 75 year old sopranos boy right now i'm still in my 20s i guess i think yeah like 85 year old i think and then that's then we can remember when i was young i'm going (laughs) to be a 85 years old but for now i'm just in my in my early or yeah i guess mid 20s 26 or something because there's 13 episodes a season so i'm 26 in sopranos years uh whether you're an old man or a youngster like me let's keep a kicking down this road and see where it takes us yep and there's only one thing left to say what's that cut to black (laughs) 